So it's not a new idea that you shouldn't just sit on the range and rope repetition, hit seven irons to the flag and expect that that's going to translate. But I think as human beings, we feel like that is going to translate because it feels good. It feels good to kind of do it until you can get it. And then you just want to keep doing it. It feels good. And it's, and it's an illusion of competency as we know, but it's, but it's something that people aren't necessarily going to just change on their own because you don't trust the, the concept of hitting bad shots and think that that's going to work. Thanks for joining us, Trillian. We're going to start quickly here with a, a little fact box. So there's going to be a couple questions and you can answer it quickly or, or not quickly if you want. You ready? Yeah. All right. What's your full full name? My my full name is Trillium Rose. It's a pretty amazing name. Just just as a side note. It's cool. Well, Trillium's a flower. I was born in Vermont, and the the flowers in bloom in May when I was born. So that's how you know my mom found the name, and I married a rose, which wow. was <laughs> that was just luck. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is a great that is a great story you don't have a middle name i took my maiden name sellers and i turned that into my middle name okay my original middle name i was named after a book my original middle name was paddler paddle to the sea was the book about this little a little wooden a wooden toy a little indian in a canoe or i should say native american and the little boy in canada had left it outside in his in his backyard and the snow melted and it got washed away in the stream behind his house and the story is about the journey that this little this little um this little canoe this little toy canoe takes all the way down from a, from a stream to a river to an estuary to a gulf to the ocean and you know, and all these this, this adversity that he found along the way, kind of managed through it. And then at the end, a fisherman finds it and catches it in the net. And he finds this thing, and he's like, "Oh, this is neat. Let me just set it back out out to sea. I'll fix it up and set it back out to sea." So turns out it was my parents' favorite book when when they were growing up, and they figured that out after they were married. So, Interesting. That's awesome. Great backstory. Uh, what's home for you? home well <laughs> i like to travel i feel i feel like home is really wherever my family is right now so we are in dc so we live in washington dc in the district uh, and i'm from vermont so my my uh, parents are in vermont still and i have a brother who's in la but right now it's it's dc i've been here for 12 years awesome what's the favorite course you've ever played gotta be cypress point Cypress Point is incredible and, you know, designed with, with, it's got a female architect in its history, which is kind of cool too. I love that it's on some incredible property, but it looks as though it just sort of happened to show up there. I know, I know there's a lot of thought that was put into the routing and the different holes, but it kind of looks like it was always there. And that's very much my style of architecture, um, not, mm. you know, not, not contrived, but rather looks like wow this just was a natural hole maybe it mm. wasn't but you know cyprus is one of those golf courses where every single hole is is incredible and you've got really amazing shot making opportunities on every hole That's even awesome. 18 even 18 
<laughs> okay. All right. I haven't played it, so I can't say anything. Mac, you've played it. I, I have played it a few times. He lives I, up I, there I now. I love the golf course. You do? Yeah, I've been living there for about a year now. So we moved to the Carmel Valley. You're kidding. Yeah, it's so pretty. So we're probably like a 20-minute drive away. That's cool. There's so many. I thought I love that there are cow lilies there. Cow, wild cow lilies. How cool is that? Oh, yeah. I mean, my wife has gotten really into... Um, into herbalism up there so she's an ayurvedic health practitioner and so she's like there's i mean i'm learning so much about everything blooms up there and my allergies really they take the hit <laughs> but it's so pretty i mean we're we're actually building our house in the preserve have you ever played the preserve no that's in the carmel valley it's fazio top 100 and um it's a 20,000 acre nature conservancy with only like 250 home sites in it with a top 100 golf course Wow. And so it's it's so pretty, but there's just so much wildlife. It's 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 80 to 90 degrees in the Carmel Valley. And then you drive 15 minutes to Pebble and you're 55 and, and cloudy. So it's just it's I think it's the prettier part of the peninsula because you're in the warm and warmth and the sunshine. But there's so much beautiful golf up there. Yeah. If people haven't been there, they really need to go. I think it's one of the gems of our country. Yeah, definitely. Is there a person or an influence that has been kind of the biggest in your career? Yeah, certainly. I have a lot of influences. And, and if you're asking for the biggest, I think there are probably two that hold that title. And I could I could really go on. You know, there's a close third. There's a close fourth. Yeah. And, and at different times in my life, right? So I think early on, Jim McLean was a huge influence. I worked for Jim and it was when I, when I just realized I wanted, I really wanted to teach full time. I loved coaching and I loved teaching and I wanted to dive into the craft of that. And I wanted mm. to really understand how, how the golf swing works, but also I wanted to, you know, I wanted some guidance on, on all the other pieces involved in that. And he just was known as a teacher's teacher. And so I, I've spent, you know, a good five years just, diving into the systems. Um, mm. Now, while, he, while there, I met Dr. Rob Neal, and Rob Neal is a biomechanist who started out as, as a professor at University of Queensland in Australia and had had really worked pretty, pretty carefully on kinematic sequencing. And he developed a 3D system. Uh, you're probably familiar with AMM, but his is called Golf Biodynamics. A AMM and Golf Biodynamics are the same hardware. He wrote the, his own software for the for the GBD system. Mm. So his his perspective really came in at it from from a scientific one, which is let's let's not guess, let's actually measure. So let's ask a question, let's measure, and let's just look at the empirical evidence. And as a player himself, I think he brings he brought and he brings a tremendous understanding of what it takes to work on one's skill technically, but also the the aspects of taking taking the knowledge of that and taking that skill and turning it into your you know your ability to perform in, in an environment that's completely different than your training environment. So yeah. I think for me those two. Those two. So Dr. Neil on the on the technical side and I and I'm still great great friends with with him and, and still really appreciate all that he's bringing to the table. And then Jim McLean, who I also have tremendous respect for and think did a really good service for, for our, you know, our industry of golf professionals in, in his concept of a system, the system that you don't have to have one swing 
And I really buy that. You just don't have to have one swing, but you have to make your swing work, you know, mm -hmm. and, to, and to train a lot of coaches to be on the same page so that, you know, you're not saying, hey, here's our checklist of what we, we need people to do. Like that, even Jim, Jim McLean would say, hey, I wrote the eight step swing, but the eight step swing is not about being in positions here, here, here. It's really about being within certain corridors and ranges, you know, and if you're going to do A, you've got to do B. If you're going to do B, you need to do A, you know, it's like, you, you don't need to do it exactly the same way, but you have to have some kind of way that that's going to, that's going to work. And our coaches have to be trained to understand that. That's awesome. That's, I think we will dig deeper because those are int interesting topics later on. Um, Annika or Lorena? In terms of what? Just your favorite or best of all time. Oh, they're such tremendous players. They're they're very different as people. You know, Lorena is as an as a really outgoing person, and and Annika's not an outgoing person. Annika had a, a you know she had a very unusual swing that that she made it work. I mean, she kind of lifts up a little bit. She does you know she she's a lot Looks of the up, yeah a lot of the Swedes do that. I think Sensen <laughs> does that too. And you know, Lorena does the absolute opposite. You know, she keeps her head almost to the, you know, looking behind the ball for longer than, I mean, that's a, such an opposite move. But I, I think that it's, I was sad to see Lorena retire early. I, I was hoping to, to get a lot more out of her, but yeah, um, yeah. Have, have her while it lasted. So you're saying Annika, if you had to choose. Well, Annika, Annika, she had a longer run, so I'm going to have to say Annika. I mean, she had a she had a much longer run, and and here she is giving back with her schools and you know in her foundation. Yeah. So, so that that's not nothing. And just host. I'm, I'm Mexican and and Leo's Swedish, so we we just have this debate at all times. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I said no 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 golfers ever won by percentage more than Lorena. Yeah, wow. but then there's total wins, right? But. Wait a sec. So was this a personal issue? You're looking for me to kind of tip the scale? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> At all times. We, we, have, we have a running tally. Yeah. <laughs> we utilize the podcast, as, you know, no. But um, <laughs> it's also pretty awesome, by the way, that, you know, Annika and, and Henrik just hosted the first COVID event on the European uh, tour with the latest European tour. It was awesome. So I agree. That I think it was so much fun to watch. And it was so many, so many, so many little moments of, you know, male, female coming together. So instead of seeing everybody separate in their own, in their own sport, they saw it together mm -hmm. really for the first time. I hope mm -hmm. we can do something like that on the PGA tour. Yeah, no, I think it would be pretty fun. Of course it's in Sweden, you know, that would be the first country that would happen, which is great. Jack or tiger? Tiger. Mm. Controversial. Controversial. That's a controversial answer. I, I no, just, just flat out tiger. Yeah, and I agree. I, but a lot yeah. of people just look at the major wins. I, I understand that. I think that, sorry, Jack, but I think the competition <laughs> harder, harder yeah. now than it was for you. Yeah. And I think that you, you know, you as in, I think Jack had a, obviously had an amazing game and won, you, you know, and really deserved all the recognition and all the recognition he does get. Tiger had unbelievable, unbelievable rounds that I think came out of some insane places. And and his his mindset is 
sort of, I wouldn't say the opposite of Jack's, but it's not wholesome. I mean, Jack has a wholesome family life and a wholesome perspective on kids and bringing people together. And, and, and Tiger's kind of isolated, isolated himself and has put himself into this tunnel where he can focus and grind and improve. And that's a big part, I think, of why he was able to overcome so much, so much adversity and and really pull himself through some places that were uncomfortable, you know, for a number of reasons. One being, you know, making big swing changes. That's never easy. It's, a, it's not just the major record. I mean, Jack Nicholas, I think he won 18 majors, 19 second places, and 30 top threes in majors. So it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> but like you, it's, but like you said, it, it's one of those things where it's it's really the level of competition. I mean, you can see the tiger effect is happening now on, I think, on, on all ends, on, on every tour, at every level. Just the, the engagement in the game, no one moved the needle more than he ever did. And so it's like impact as a player and then the highest level of play versus, you know, major record or, or something like that. Right. I also like that Tiger's black. And I think that there's there's a lot to be said to be the only black player in growing up, growing up in a system that probably didn't have a lot of black kids playing. So nobody really talks about that, but I think that has had to have been something. He didn't grow up, you know, a, a rich kid at a country club. So I think we've got to also add that to his stack of overcoming adversity. Let's just yeah, hope he comes story. back and wins another three and just so that the conversation can be over. <laughs> um, what's the most interesting phone number you have in your phone? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> I'm sure there's politicians where you are in DC, right? Um, that maybe you yeah, can't uh, say. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I think a lot more appointed or career officials. So think diplomats, justices, you mm -hmm. know, so, so you know, senators and congressmen. Those are those are, those are the elected politicians um, or the you know president, vice president. Yeah. Do you coach a lot of those people? <laughs> I have, I have a, I have a handful. Yeah. So what was the most interesting number that you can say? So I will probably say Bill Murray. That's the. Bill Murray. That's a good. That's a good one. That's a good one. Have she you just alluded to a lot of other ones? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so have you coached Bill or you know spent time with him? I've I've had the benefit of saying that that I have spent a bunch of time with him. So he was a member of a club that I taught up in New York, and mm. he he is one of the one of the brightest people that I know. Just not even brightest, just brightest people. He's he's got some real depth to his to his personality, and his knowledge of history and his appreciation of art and the craft of acting and comedy is second to none. I mean, he just, he really is a well and a wealth of information. But I played a lot of golf with him and I've spent a lot of time with him. Um, and he, he's, I, I will not say that I've coached him. I, you know, we've, we've been in situations where I've, you know, given a few pointers, a few bits of perspective, but he's, he's a real athlete. He's not necessarily the one that would sit down and say, hey, I want a lesson. Can I sign up for a lesson and walk in? Um, yeah. Although, I wish you would sometimes because I'm like, I know exactly what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> but he's really fun. He's insanely competitive. Mm. And um, 
like really competitive uh, and he loves sports. So he's really fun to play golf with. That's awesome. That's a, that's a good answer. So let's jump straight into it. I know it's interesting you mentioned McLean and, you know, kind of your background in biomechanics, you know, as, uh, but I also know, you know, you have a background in motor learning and skill acquisition. And we talk a lot about this and kind of the difference between the two and how, you know, you have biomechanists and then you have individuals like you or we, we're good friends with Dr. Will Wu you know, that are, that really research how we communicate and how we deliver that technical information. Because I think we can all agree that sometimes, you know, golf instruction is too technical and it confuses people. So it sounds like you have, you know, a, a tremendous background in both kind of both on both sides. Um, Cause you have stories by the way, where, you know, you have a biomechanist that looks at mechanics in let's say a runner and then you actually have a an expert in motor learning and skill acquisition that communicates with athletes. So it's like analysis and application in a way. Do do you look at it that way? Like a and as a really good coach, you need to be able to do both. Uh, sure, I'm sh- sure. I think it's I think it's like a yin and a yang where you have to know as a coach or as a player what you want to be doing, but then. I would say the yin would be the the technique and the yang would be the application of that technique. And so, so I think a good coach is going to have a, some mixture of both, Mm. right? So it doesn't do, it doesn't do anyone any good just to know, okay, I, I know that I want my wrist to go into flexion, you know, halfway down and I want to feel pressure like in my left. Okay, fine. But yeah, it does matter where that club is moving. But if uh, there's just a tremendous amount of, 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 I think individual situations, I'm thinking all these examples, mm-hmm. but how you, how you actually take that information and you put it in, into your, you know, your nervous system and then how that's tested over time and how you can bring that from, from kind of a more ex- explicit, you know, conscious thought to a more mm-hmm. implicit automated movement that that's a whole different ball game do you feel like though uh, that maybe we focus a lot on the <laughs> on the one side and maybe don't focus as much on the deliverings to make sure that we're speaking a language that the student can fully understand i don't know what everybody's doing on lesson t's but i've certainly seen i've seen enough and worked enough with enough people and had enough feedback from students over time. And I mean, it just takes five minutes looking on the internet to see what's out there, to know Mm -hmm. that that the discussion is wholeheartedly on what to do. And I think there's, you know, I'm not faulting anybody for, for doing that. And I certainly put my fair share of tips on, you know, on checking your technique because I, you know, I'm at a private, I'm at a private country club. And so I work with members of a club that are, that are, you know, normal people, probably maybe extraordinary, you know, in what they do on a day to day, but average as athletes, just average athletes. And they want average, you know, scores looking, you know, looking to shoot low eighties, high seventies. That's, you know, it's good, but, but you're only going to get a certain amount of time from someone who has a job and kids and right. So you're only, so I've been, I've been spending a whole lot of time of the last you know 15 years working with people to get to be more efficient with how how people can spend their time 
And of course, this applies to the high level athletes or, or the high schoolers that want to play D1 or the, you know, the guy or girl who's already plus and they want to, you know, and they want to win, they want to win a USJ event. And I've got my fair share of those players too. So that that's some somewhat of a little bit of a different conversation, but I'd say the big majority of people in the US are, are the, the someone that wants to break 100 or 90 or 80. You know, that's, that's who we're really talking about. Um, I'm talking about right now. And I don't think there's a whole lot of, it's not a whole lot of conversation about then what do you do once you know what to do? And let's say, let's say someone's got, you know, a lot of mileage swinging a certain way, you know, let's mm -hmm. say you're, you're 45 years old and you learn to swing when you're say 15 and you've got some patterns in there that are, that are just pretty, pretty comfortable and you don't have to think about it. Well, that's a, that's a lot to ask somebody to then make, make a big adjustment. And I think it, it just knowing what you need to do isn't really going to cut it. You, you need to have a plan and you need to have some help getting some feedback about where, where that adjustment needs to happen. So I think to answer your question, yeah, I think, I think mostly the conversations on what to do. And I think there's not a whole lot of conversations about how to do it. Although there's, there's a bit more, I mean, a bit more, I'd say, and maybe you guys are hearing it, you know, taking your range game to the course and, you know, spending some time, you know, I think skill, skill-based training has, has really been on the, t on the table for a long time. There's a, there's a, a bunch of good, I think Charlie King was talking about this for a long time. Todd Sones has talked about it for a long time. You know, e even some of the old timers like Bob Toski was talking about this for a long time. So it's not a new idea that you shouldn't just sit on the range and wrote repetition, hit seven irons to the flag and expect that that's going to translate. But I think as human beings, we feel like that is going to translate because it feels good. It feels good to kind of do it until you can get it. And then you just want to keep doing it. It feels good. And, and it's, and it's an illusion of competency as we know, but it's, but it's something that people aren't necessarily going to just change on their own because you don't trust the, the concept of hitting bad shots and think that that's going to work. So it, when you go to like, you're really convivial, you're educated, you're an intellectual, you have a lot of depth, you can see you have a great smile, you have all these different skill sets that you're taking and attributes that you're taking to the lesson tee, and then you have a depth of understanding as a player. We're, we're so interested in developing kind of the new generation of golf instructors with our business, and we're like, all right, how do we take these young, coming out of college golf instructors and get them to speed up the process? And how, what would what what in your experience you talked about Jim McLean and how you know what he's done in the contributions to the game there in that regard, companies like Golf Tech. What what are your thoughts on developing, um, and what's out there and and what your experience is in developing new incoming golf instructors and how, you know, is there a way to hack that process or is it something where you have to have all this depth and understanding and 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 really kind of dive into the passion of the of the whole thing. And, and you can tell you're a student of the game, the history of it and everything included versus saying, I'm just a specialist in golf instruction, that you have a lot, I can see it right away, a lot of skills around being able to, to provide the full package. Are, are you asking how, how, do, how do we- How know, do we hack it? Like I, I, I go, yeah, I go, I w when I started this company, I, you know, I had 
My dad's a public health doctor. My mom's an artist. I don't have a middle name, but you know, I have two first names or two last names. I have, you know, I grew up on the border in El Paso, Texas. Bill Eschenbrenner was my mentor. I had my, I would go and watch my dad's public health business, have dinners with Mikhail Gorbachev and the CDC. And I got to, I went to IMG Academy as a teenager and, and was there with Gary Gilchrist and David Ledbetter and Paula Creamer, Julieta Granada. Like I had, I, I, I'm bilingual, you know, my sister went to USC, she's in public health. So like I have so many experiences and a wealth of opportunity I've had in my life and multicultural. And so I take that to the lesson tee. And then I also played at high level. I was a really good player as a junior golfer. So I'd take that into the lesson tee, my confidence, you know, my, my, my essence comes in and it's like, it's a lot of power that I can wield. And then I'm like thinking I'm an intellect and I'm thinking deeply about how I can get across a very simple point. And when we, when we're, but I'm like, cool, that's just, that's just me. Now, how do I turn that into developing a company and building other people up and give the power to other people? And so, you know, we're 50 employees and growing and of all these coaches and trainers, physical therapists, club fitters, and how do, you know, my question for you is like in your experience with Jim McLean, seeing these other companies, it's always been a big concept out there about how does one instructor go to 50 or go to a hundred? What, what are your thoughts on that? And, and is there a hack for that? Or is, is there, are there education modules that you've seen that work? What, what are your thoughts on just developing, I guess, mass golf instruction? Can you hear me? Can you hear me exhaling on the audio? <laughs> it's a big, it's a big concept. I, I've thought about this so much and I've, and I've, I, I shared the, the coaching and player development committee for the PGA the um, last two years and two years before that I was on the committee I was not the chair so I spent four years on on the committee of PGA and we were we were you know we were thinking and looking we were, this, there was also an education committee but we worked really closely with the education committee and with the PGA just going over that what can we give golf professionals to bolster their education and to centralize a place where where they could have access we can have access to we're talking about a P, the pga of america so so the largest sports organization in the world twenty six thousand members of the pga i don't know if you guys are members of the pga or not maybe you know this already <laughs> i went through the program yeah like twenty eight thousand members and apprentices right yeah, that's right. And and so there's there's clearly a, a major opportunity there to 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 have and, and this is what we're working on. We're working on on not necessarily providing all the information, but actually picking out the stuff that's already in existence and putting together or giving people access to, to you know, to like a, a, a tree. Hey, if you're interested in 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 increasing your ability to understand the whole picture of someone's game go to vision 54. if you're interested in developing juniors as athletes look at tpi and, and so forth then there i mean there's you know like 35 that, that i could think of that we came up with the list of stuff that's out there the pga is never going to create that on its own but i think these small kind of pop-up certification and so these like knowledge centers I think are really, really good. And if somebody is interested in, in learning, they should do as much of that as they can. I mean, I did a ton of all, I did all of it. I did, I did all of it. I love it. I love learning. So it's just whatever's out there. I did it all. And I think that comprehensively, you know, you, you, you end up, if, if you're teaching, you know, if you have your, you know, your lesson book somewhat filled, 
you're also going to be able to reflect on what you're learning and be able to apply it. And you're going to learn about your own voice. You're going to learn about how you interact. You're going to learn about where your weaknesses are. So I think it's a combination of getting your feet wet and doing it. And it's all, and also then listening to the people that have done it before and have something to say about it. And whether you think you need it or not, you should just do it. Whether you think you're going to agree with it or not, you should just do it and see what's out there until your own voice starts to develop and you have, and you can pull together your own, your own things. And not to mention, there's so many books, you know, and the old books are great, you know, mm-hmm. Stobbs and Cochran's, I mean, the search for the purpose of, there's so many great things out there. And that was written in 1964, I think, or 63, mm-hmm. you know, Percy Boomer, we had Ernest Jones, we had, like I said, Bob Tosky, and just, there's a multitude of things out there you can really learn. You pick up Tommy Armour, and everybody's got their own take on it. Now, my personally, I, I like the scientific stuff. I mean, I just like evidence and I like evidence in terms of numbers because I love numbers, but I also like evidence, um, maybe video too. There's a lot of two great, great stuff that's been done, done 2D. Uh, and now we've got lots of force plate and pressure, you know, pressure information. So how in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, be a, be a sponge and develop the experience and go through the trenches and there is no hack, really. I mean, and, and, and I see a lot of instructors, they'll spend early on in their careers, they're just teaching people the way that they interpret their own develop of, development of the game and then try to imprint that on players and have a tough time. seems like you have to have a really wealth, big wealth of knowledge and experience and perspective to, to be an effective golf instructor. Well, like anything, I mean, if I wanted to you know, be a car mechanic, I would... I'd have to have some experience and I have to be around it a bit and I'd have to, you know, I'd have to know a lot. And, I, and if I just did what I, you know, kind of grew up doing, I'd be okay. But I think I would be better if I interned for other people. So with any skill, I do think you've got to reach out beyond your own experiences. You know, I've seen people like that where they, they're kind of on their own island and they're, they're, they're not talking to anybody else and, and they're just like doing what they know and then they read an article and they're like, let me pick that up or let me pick that up. And you can do it that way, but it's a slow, slow, slow road. And I do think you don't develop a lot of different skills that you may develop. When you're, in other words, when you're around other people, you may be challenged a lot more. You're challenged to, you know, and I'm thinking of Jim McLean because there's 35 of us and we'd have meetings every Monday. So, you know, you're asked to speak, you're asked to present and you're, and you're challenged and you're asked questions and people poke holes in it. And you've got, you know, you've got to think about how you're going to answer these things, how you're going to, what your approach is going to be, you know, and then you get to listen to other people. So it's this like really concentrated environment of learning. And I really appreciate that. And so I, I, when I, you know, when I left it, kind of a, a lot of people that I worked with have remained friends. And so we, we kind of condense together when we're at, we're at seminars or, or will we pull together and we'll do some phone calls together. And you kind of keep that rapport and you keep, you keep those questions going. You know, There's a lot that's like almost a, it's a boutique team, even though 35 is pretty large when you think about a coaching team, that's about, you know, we're a little, we're a little bit bigger than that. And it's, and, and we can still have these conversations, this narrative, I think, I can't help but think about golf tech because they're the largest employer of PGA professionals in the world. And they have, you know, I think 700 coaches, right. And they're, and they franchise, they grew really fast from the late nineties. And then, you know, 20 years later they're here and there's, it's a very controversial company. People have a lot of ideas around it, 
But their answer to that, I want to, I'm curious what your thoughts are, especially, you know, being into the, a, you know, the AMM system and, and into studying how the body moves and, 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 and their answer to that as they scaled is, you know, they had to hire very fast and they went into this whole thing of like, you know, tour ranges of, you know, of thoracic rotation and hip rotation and tilts and bends and then saying, here's, you know, here's the appropriate green, yellow and red ranges that are saying you're within the proper range, you're, you're moderate, or you're, this is really, really bad relative to, you know, the sample size of 200 PGA tour, LPGA tour and champions tour professionals. And so I said, this is the way to swing. So you harness people in and then say, Hey, like, you know, we need to, here's a tour swing compared to your swing. And then here are the numbers compared to tour numbers in order, you know, in order to get you better, we've got to get you closer to the green range. What are your thoughts on that system? I think that's just a good starting point for, for some people, people being maybe some coaches because they coaches will have some concepts, some, some concrete concepts. I'm willing to guess that most of the coaches at golf tech have said to a client, these are just ranges. You don't have to get there. We can ignore some of this stuff because you, you'd have to be a halfwit to look at someone who's let's say 55 and had hip surgery to, if you couldn't recognize it, they may not be able to get that full rotation. Their body mm -hmm. just cannot substantiate what you're trying to do. I just, I just can't, I, I can't believe that, that, that a golf coach would, would just follow those rules with, with the ranges. Now, having said that, I think the, you know, how, how are you going to, how are you going to, how are you going to know if you're walking into a golf tech that you're going to get a coach that's got the ability to see beyond what's been set up? I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like the fact that we've got more, more ways for people to learn how to swing a club. You know, yeah. the, the big picture trillion likes to see the, the game grow. I like to see people playing and, and participating. And if we have more, ways for them to do it then then i think that's really really good yeah so you know i'm i'm more apt to support than to criticize people that, you know people in a company that's that's trying to help people play golf so i don't have you know i don't have a lot of negatives to say about that i mean think back to like lynn and pia like what do you like about that what i like about that is that if someone's learning to play golf they have a place I, you know i think there's what, what we all have to be careful with, and that's not just golf tech, but we all have to be careful with as coaches that we are, are able to see what's in front of us, see that player in front of us and really understand where they're making issues, where, sorry, where their issues are, where they're making mistakes. And that I would make very, very intentionally said that loosely because it could be a decision mistake. It may, it may not be a movement to state mistake. And then really understand why that mistake might've come about. And then, and then figure out, is that mistake worth changing? You know, is it worth unpacking this and, and creating a new one? Because it's really expensive to do it in time and in sweat equity and probably money. If they're going to, mm -hmm. if they're going to need a lot of coaching for it. So I feel like there's, there's a lot to be said for, you know, being on a golf course and seeing how somebody can play and what can they actually do with that swing? I mean, I have so many, I have so many players with God awful swings that could, that could go out in a match and beat almost anybody. 
Yeah. Like you look this way and you're like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, but the person knows where the ball's going to go. Yeah, yeah. So do you do you feel like, uh, I mean, you can look on, 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 on all tours, it's the same, right? At the highest level and at the lowest level. Do you feel like aesthetics is not correlated with performance most of the time? I'm not a huge... I mean, I'm not a huge aesthetics person when it comes to the swing, you know, actually at all, really. Mm. So you look more um, at the ball flight? I, I, I mean, start with ball flight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I start with ball flight. I start with ball flight, but then I also, I really want to know about someone's body, you know, and what's going on with the body and how, how they feel and how they might feel, you know, later on. Is this, is this sustainable? Is this going to create problems? Are you doing this in a way that you're asking some, some muscle groups that shouldn't be doing the work, do the work? Is that going to catch up with them? That kind of thing. I, I mean, I think you, you have to, you have to look at that and you know, you're going to get golf shovel or you're going to get tennis elbow, or you're going to have, you know, this is going to hurt later. We, we're going to have to fix this. Yeah. Um, you know, but then the physics of it, the physics of the swing, you know, it, does someone have a really, really, really short window where that face is going to be square? Is that window like a nanosecond? We could, we could elongate that, that flat spot at the bottom so mm -hmm. that even if you don't hit it in the center, at least the face is going to be square. You know, can we do some things that are going to make your misses better more often? You know, I'm looking at stuff like that, kind of low-hanging fruit stuff that, you know, people don't have to totally rip their engine apart to, to play better. So it sounds like it's a lot of decision trees that you're going through on every single place. How do you, how do you start? Is that how you start with somebody or is that going, is that an ongoing process? And then do you get into some sort of an automation in coaching them on a regular basis? Like what, cause it, it, it would take, it takes a lot of computational power to, 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 to be asking yourself all those questions all the time. Do you ever get to a point where it's on autopilot when you're coaching? No, because we're always, I mean, we're always, there's always a next step. But the, the, the steps are obviously going to change if somebody's really doing all the work. But yeah, I think the decision tree is always there. So it starts out, if it's a brand new student to me, I'm going to say, well, you know, okay, nice to meet you. Uh, what's going on? Tell me about your golf. Why are you here? Like really open-ended, you know, g give me a sense of what's, what's, what's on your mind. And then, you know, let's look, let's look at you hit some balls. Yeah. And what people say and what people do, you know, then I, they'll hit a shot. Okay. One to 10, 10 being that's exactly what you wanted to do, or it's perfect. And a one kind of where, I, so I can just gauge what's, what, what their sense of, you know, ball striking is like. Yeah. I'm super and then, curious. And, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So I, I'm super curious because of your background, because not a lot of coaches have the background where both motor learning and biomechanics. And I was, I was coaching this weekend, one of our, uh, one of our physical therapists, and I don't coach as much as anymore, but I love coaching and I'm a big fan of Gabrielle Wolf and the research that she did on attentional focus, one of my favorite books in coaching. And I think a lot about this and we talk about it a lot on the podcast, internal versus external focus. And we always, we always ask that question. It was funny. I was coaching and and he was, he's always been struggling, especially with the driver, with, you know, a, a typical outside in slicing the ball, doesn't hit it very far. And, and I, I started coaching him and we, we started working more on swing direction, actually, because I realized his, his path was not as bad as his swing direction. His swing direction was so far left. 
and I like the constraints model, so I just kind of you know put uh, change the environment uh, in order to create change, so that he doesn't have to think about what he's doing, right? And, but anyway, so I I put up this big trash can in front of him, and um, and I just left him. <laughs> I, I I said, uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be here for an hour, and we had already worked for maybe half an hour, and I asked him. You're gonna hit it to the right of the trash can, and you're gonna curve it back, and it's gonna—it needs to land on the left side of the midline. And I'm just gonna leave you. And uh, I left him there for an, for an hour, and I was working out. And we had already <laughs> worked for half an hour, and you know we've seen some results. But I was very engaged. I was like really trying to work hard. And so when I left and I came back, it was so much better, right? And I had just given him one objective. It's just start it on that side, curve it back. I don't, I don't, I don't care how you do it. And, and it was so cool. And I, I realized, man, like I'm better if I'm not there. It's better if the coach doesn't say anything. It's better if the coach, ideally, is not even there. As long as there's a, you know, good instructions, I guess, for the task. But that made me think a lot about, you know, you know how much a coach is communicating and what we're communicating because... Uh, research also shows that when you do it that way, the student actually uh, retains the learning better, correct? Yeah. Because they're actually kind of self-organizing, they're learning themselves, they're kind of teaching themselves. I'd love to hear your thoughts on internal versus external and, and that type of coaching because it, it's so weird, right? Like you think as a coach, I'm, I'm crucial to the success of the player, but actually, you know, when I left, it got better. Yeah, that, there's a lot there. I'm 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 excited for you that you had that experience too, and and you really had that firsthand, really positive outcome from that. And I think I'll tell a quick story. So I did a this was a lab class. It's more of an experiment, just a case study on learning. So the task was the task for for our course. This was a, this was in grad school for for it was a motor learning lab. And you you could pick any t- any activity you wanted, but your participant had to have never done it before. So this must be a novel task for them, mm. the person. So what I was of course interested in d- looking at was handing a golf club to someone who had never played golf, and seeing if they could get better without me telling them anything. And so the. Person I found was a she was a doctoral student in physics, and she she's from the Philippines. She had never played golf, didn't never watch golf, not a golf fan, no friends play golf. So she had never held a club at all. And I had a net, and I had a scoring system. So if the ball went into the middle of the net, you you get more points in the outer ring, you get fewer points, and then no points if you don't get it in the net at all. And we had a mat, and we had some foam balls. So we videotaped. Um, her doing this, I think five weeks in a row and she hit 30 balls. And at the beginning of the session, I gave her the task at hand. Here's the task and here's how you're supposed to do it. I read it out. So I gave her the exact same directions every time. I didn't tell her how to do it. I said, this is what your objective is to get this ball there and you're supposed to use this. So I videotaped it so I could see her movement. We, I could track the timing of her movement and I could score it. And what do you think happened? I'll ask you. So, so you said five weeks, 
and she had just had to hit 30 balls in one, in one session, basically. Mm-hmm. How many times a week? Once. Oh, okay, once. And what, what the instructions were just kind of, they were not technical. It was just hitting the ball, basically, swinging the club. Yeah, exactly. I would assume that she would uh, get better. She got better. Yeah. She got a lot better. She got a lot better. Now here's now here's the thing. Her movement, her technique was horrendous. Mm-hmm. Horrendous. So she was getting better, but she was doing it like this. No body rotation. Every you know, all the things that you would you would like throw up in your mouth if you saw someone doing. <laughs> Uh-huh. And and of course, if she wanted to play golf later on, this is going to set her up for a really bad swing. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, you know, the interesting, like the take on it for me was, was that people, you know, we don't have to overcoach someone, but what we coach them and how they do it in the golf swing is a very complex movement, I think really does matter. Now, in your case, you asked someone who sounded like he was pretty, you know, pretty proficient anyway, not a total beginner. And did you ever read that um, there's a there's a paper, Tim Lee and Chicago Perkins, they wrote a paper on external, external, internal, and it was a pitching task. And the the task was like a 50 yard shot. And they took two groups, novices and experts. And the novices did much better with internal feedback. The, mm-hmm. the experts did much better with external. So to, to, to kind of put that into an example or kind of more common language, a, a beginner needed help figuring out how to do it with their movement. You know, hit, you need to feel like you're, you know, you're whatever, bent more from mm-hmm. the hip. You need to feel like your your arms are stretching out. You need to feel as though, you know, your wrists need to feel like they're not moving so much. Your elbow needs to, whatever. Those are more internal, internal feedback cues. Mm-hmm. How do you movement? They did better when they, when they had those cues. Whereas the experts who already knew how to hit the ball, that wasn't helpful because they already knew those things. So the external cues were a lot more useful. And I think when, as a practitioner, I see a lot of the same thing, but not necessarily just blanket evenly across the board where beginners need external. No, beginners also need, sorry, beginners also need external cues Mm -hmm. sometimes, but experts also need internal cues sometimes. I think it just depends so much on the situation at hand and what you're trying to do and what they've had in the past. And it's so tailored that it's hard for me to just subscribe to external versus internal. So I don't think of it as a versus. I actually think of it as, hey, you need both. You just need to know when to use them. When you did that experiment, Trillium, with that with that beginner in the net, did you did you take were there more subjects or was she the was she the only subject? She's the only subject. So that's why I don't think it was a. I mean, it was just a. It was just a real basic case study. Yeah. I think I. But and she was not athletic. She yeah. was not. Well, and so on that note of what you just said, I have a little junior golfer and I named him Sevi, and I named my other son Rafa. So I'm just like already putting it on him. But uh, <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I, I have three kids, and it's just fascinating watching the differences between them. What do you? There's such a thing as a natural athlete, or or, and I think with a lot of people with golf, they talk about it, and they're like, I can't. I uh, just I you know, it's uh, why isn't my son or daughter like? Or why aren't they good? And they need more instruction, like. My son, especially the first, you know, few years, he's he's almost eight, 
And he's like a little scratch golfer for an eight-year-old for his size of golf course. He's, you know, I took him to the hay and he won a tournament the other day at the new Pebble Hay and he shot even par, which is pretty, pretty good for, you know, seven-year-old, nine holes, pretty tough greens and stuff. So he's got great awareness, but it was all, I've taught him so much, especially in the beginning, all external focus. And he just would pick things up right away and be really good. And I tried teaching my daughter and it was like, oh my, I have to like, she looked like a, you know, 35 year old learning golf for the first time as an eight year old, like standing weird. And I, he, she, he immediately like got into posture, you know, I didn't have to really do much. So what, what are your thoughts on being a natural athlete or some, you know, the propensity for that and how much harder do some people have to work than others? Well, yeah, you saw that some people have aptitude, athletic aptitude, and and some and it's a sliding scale, and that some people just have a lot of it. You know, there, a lot of times you'll see you'll some kids can see something and then do it and emulate it, and some not so much, and some really, really not so much, and some kinda, and, and maybe there's some motivation in there too. Like it, maybe, you know, maybe your this is you're talking about your son and your daughter. We're just talking about in general, yeah, but you know, I'm not allowed to compare them anyway if my wife listens to this. Okay, there you go. There you go. <laughs> right? And, and I, I'm really, really, I'm, re- I'm really conscientious of, of letting anyone feel like th- th- it's golf's not for them or, or it's going to be too hard for them. So I think the answer that, that I would, you know, I'm going to give here is I just try to plug into where the person is. And so it, this is about finding someone's challenge point. And, and to quote um, Mark Guadagnoli and Tim Lee, they wrote a really great paper on this called The Challenge Point. But this was a summation of all kinds of research on, on performance and practice and transfer. And, and the challenge point is just where, the tipping point where someone's feeling like it's too hard or not hard enough. Like where is that perfect sweet spot where you're learning just enough that you're really learning and that versus not learning enough. Like hitting on the range to the same place, you're not probably learning a lot if it's really easy and it feels good. Now, here's the problem I find with 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 like this exact situation that we're talking about. Well, a lot of people do need to try to hit the same club to the same place because it's so freaking hard. Like ask yourself to pull out your fairway wood off a tight lie and hit it five times on a green. That's 220 out. Like that's that's probably not going to happen for most players ever. So that would be worthwhile to try to do that because every swing is probably going to be somewhat different. Something's going to go completely wrong. It's going to be a duff. So I think the research would say, no, it's better to change your targets often. It's better to, it's better to put yourself in a position where you're pulling out the new, a new movement. But I'd say, hold up, except if you're in golf, because it's so freaking hard anyway. I like blocked practice for most people. We're talking mm-hmm. about blocked versus random. Another mm-hmm. one that I don't like the verses. I kind of like them both and figure out when you need to do it. But back to the challenge point on this, what's somebody's challenge point? So for somebody who who has who struggles to to kind of get comfortable and hasn't played a lot of, of other sports, and, and I and I and I, you know, as you said, a natural athlete, like someone who who doesn't have any kind of pattern recognition or any biases from another sport at all they're learning from scratch well then the bar is like really low and i'm just going to inch that bar up so that they're going to have some successes and they're going to feel comfortable and they're going to see that they can actually do it and build on it 
that slow and steady wins the race process actually works just great sometimes great sometimes because the person's expectations level is so low and and when they're seeing these successes it kind of keeps people motivated and then not only that you have a captive audience with this person because they're not going to try to do too much too soon and just kind of oh i want to do driver now like no we're doing 30 yard shots because you still don't know how to rotate your thoracics you know you don't know how to put your pressure on your front foot. you don't know how to finish you don't know how to bomb out let's do 30 yard shots but someone who might have like they might have the ability to do it and they think they can do it like oh well i can do that but they have no no real no control and no skill involved because they've done it enough that's where i'd like oh okay i'm a little bit reticent to to, to let someone go and just do that if they're not going to have really learned the skill. My I feel like golf just is, blew off no, the handle. No, no, it's, 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 this is badass. This is actually what we want to talk about. And it's like, there's so much with golf though, that it's like, res, it's results oriented. It's social. You're in the country club or you're at the golf course and people are like, I wish I could do what he's doing or she's doing. And like, and, and I, I always think about it whenever I go to yoga with my wife, she's a big yogi. And I'm just like, I'm like in child's pose half the time just to like to get through the class. And no, you're in the fetal position. The whole time I'm just like, okay. And there's like all the women in there doing some crazy stuff. And I'm like, and I think about golf. I think about golf when I'm there. I'm like, man, if people could just get into child's pose on the golf course sometime and just enjoy themselves out there. Because in a lot of ways, like you can't though. You're like, I got to finish this whole, they're like, you know, blading it back and forth across the green. They're like, oh, I'm gonna make an 11 here. Everyone's judging me. In yoga, like it's a practice kind of like golf in a way where it's all individual. It's you're on your own journey. Like you're exploring your own body, but it's results oriented and it's social. And there's, you know, there's scorecards and there's like embarrassment and shame. And I think that, I think that's just a big part of the game. And that's like, what well, you know, I think that's something where, you know, they've, the you know that's why people like top golf so much you know you go to top golf and they can just whack it and that you can see they're having so much fun they're getting better at top golf maybe you know they're getting wasted too but they're you know they're out there and they're hitting it and they're having a great time and they're just trying and they're exploring their body and but when you add the golf course and you add like the trees down the line and you add water and then you add scorecards and you add people's judgments and or your own perceptions of people's judgments i i feel like that's the hardest part of the game for everybody yeah, yeah, the human skills required mm-hmm. to, to to deal with that. Yeah, I want to yeah. I want to go back. I, you know, I can tell that we kind of this is getting a little bit deeper on the on the technical, but I love it. So I want to go back to because you know this is really interesting to me because you know we we have a lot of coaches in our system and we talk about this a lot and because it's everybody has different answers to this you know we talked to chris como and you know in a way block practice and internal focus i think they kind of go hand in hand in in the in the sense of you might have to start somewhat there as you get started with golf and then you get more advanced but there's also research that shows that external focus are great for beginners as well i remember gabby wolf's first study on chipping focusing on the club head instead of focusing on the wrist movement showed actually better from the UNLV golf team all the way to complete beginners perform better with external focus. So there's some interesting, you know, and I always come back to the study of the, the, the basketball study when they put EMGs on the biceps and the triceps and one group focused on their wrist movement and one group focused on the hoop and the hoop group performed better. 
but now for the first time ever, we understood or we learned why, and it was a co-contraction. So the biceps and triceps kind of contracted at the same time when there was an internal focus. So to me, you know, the golf swing is like a biomechanical chaos, you know, rager. So if you have internal focuses that disrupts and kind of, you know, really takes over, right, like keeping your left arm straight, and, and, the, and the brain is so focused on that single objective that we forget the athletic free movement, right? Yeah. Can we agree that when it's time to perform internal, because fo- I agree with you, there's a time and place for internal and external, but when it's time to perform, it seems like the research is pretty clear that we, we, an external focus is better. Yeah, so when you, let, so I'll go back to the Fitz and Posner from 1950 have a concept, a model. Um, there's a few models. They have a good one. I think Ann Gentile's model is even more applicable to, to movement. So Fitz and Posner were psych- psychologists. So this was mm. on a, a cognitive level. And then I'll go into Ann, Ann Gentile's model in a second. But in a, in a nutshell, when we learn something new, it's it's takes up a lot of act, act takes up a lot of real estate and a lot of energy it's in our prefrontal cortex so you know now you probably you guys probably know this but i think maybe you just for fun for your listeners i'll just go through it so and and this is also probably pretty intuitive but yeah you have to think about something and it's in your brain so for the first time someone's learning something the first time they're learning something new so they're coming to in, I'll use golf, coming to golf lesson because they're hitting the ball poorly. All right, I'm looking at contact, I'm looking at them not hit the ground, for example. I'm looking at them pull their arms in, for example, because they're not rotating or for whatever reason, or they didn't know they had to, to whatever. Mm-hmm. Impact, you wanna have long arms. So, okay, let's, let's figure out why the club's not hitting the ground. So you figure out why it's not hitting the ground. So so maybe they see bent versus straight. Okay, yeah, that does. So that's an answer. I have a lot of people that do like to have some answers of why. Mm-hmm. So then so then you do you do, you do the motion with more with more fluidity as you do it more. You don't have to think quite as much over time. That that activity in the frontal prefrontal cortex kind of moves into the more procedural part of your brain in the basal in the basal ganglia, and because uh, the brain is highly efficient it says we just can't take up all that we, we get it we get it we figure out the program let's just put it into storage so if that process has happened so somebody has gone through enough practice so that that motion can become more automatic and they don't have to think about it as much yeah then they've earned that kind of place in that learning you know developmental scale where they don't have to think about it where we're we're bringing it back to that highly explicit cognitive place would be disruptive very disruptive in a in a performance setting because they have already learned it learning it means you can do the motion in different environments without without relative you know without a lot of variation that's right but most people haven't learned things prop either you know, properly, whatever you want that properly to be. Yeah. They haven't fully learned it and they haven't fully tested it in different environments. So I think here's the problem. We can't have, as coaches, we can't have one way because I'd say most people in golf need to learn the skill better. 
or they need, and whether that's, you know, having us help them figure out how to do the skill or whether it's them going out and practicing it and having a, having a bunch of good plans of how to practice that skill, mm-hmm. maybe both, whatever, whatever the case is, they haven't learned. And maybe this doesn't even involve coaching. Maybe it's just go out and play more, like go out and play more. And then you've learned it and you don't have to think about it as much. So I guess, so yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I just think there are like little pitfalls along the way yeah. that coaches have to be really careful, you know, recognize. Well, when you talk about the neuroanatomy, I just think about driving. Cause you go from like first time you ever drive a car to like, next thing you know, you got your knees and you're texting. Actually, I've used autopilot, so I do that anyway, but I got the, I think about like going and actually going and learning, going to the track and, and going and driving a race car. And it's like, you're in your head like crazy because you have the instructor and they're like, all right, this is how you, and I'm like, God, I already know how to drive, yeah. but this is a whole nother level. And now I don't even know how to drive. It's like you get scared to take off the line. You're like, I mean, I, you almost lose your ability to drive a car to learn how to drive it better. It's like, and I, I don't know if you've ever been on a racetrack and felt that before, but to go from just like, oh, I know how to drive a car, I can drive, I can like be doing all kinds of other things while I'm driving. Next thing you know, all I'm focusing on is driving and I like freeze up and forget how to drive almost ah. because the level of attention goes way up. It's like another level of driving. So yeah. I just think about that when you're talking. Yeah. I, yeah. And right. And there's a certain point where you need to kind of trust the process and trust that it's happened. But there's also a certain amount of like, I'm thinking of a student that says, well, I play so much better when I don't think I don't want to think about it. I'm like, okay, but your move is so freaking bad right now that if you don't think you're just going to have that same move, it's going to, it's going to keep coming up. So I I completely respect this process that thinking is disruptive. It a hundred percent is up, except if you were expecting to have a smaller swing when you're chipping, but your swing is really huge. You're making a full backswing and you're only trying to go 25 yards. You know, and you're telling me you don't want to think about it. And I'm telling you, okay, well then risk sculling it or hitting it too far. Mm-hmm. Right? You, know, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I think, yeah, how we, how we give somebody the constraints or the environment or, you know, how we set that task up for them to figure it out is, is up to us. And I think, ext- you know, opt- opting for the external ways is great. If, if they still can't get it, you know, you may have to get in there with some more specific internal cues. That's well, I, usually I think, my approach. Yeah. yeah. And I think that like with the be- beginner racers too, what they do in the cars is they say like, I remember the first tip they gave me that was external. They were like, just make sure you're looking at the turn ahead of you. Like, don't, don't look, look in front of you. Don't, don't be, you know, and keeping it really, really simple, something simple to get you out of your head. Because they give you a bunch of technical information and then they're saying, okay, cool, like make sure you're staying ahead of your, well, something very basic like that. And then as they go along, then they're going to give you like technical, I agree with you, it's not internal versus external, it's not block versus random. I feel like if you're peppering in internal while keeping them external, that's almost the, the best way to approach it if you really want to be evolving their game and improving them technically and, and um, you know, and actually practically at the same time. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's very interesting because it's, I don't, there's not a lot of people that are extreme in this case to the other side, right? Like that are extreme external, but I think that sure, there's a time and place for internal. And now then you have to figure out how do you, like you said, and I think you said it great until it becomes learned, right? And then you, 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 and then it's automatic and that's where we want to be. That's where we're going to get. 
So I just want to start to cut you off. I, no, I've good. got my hardest students. I think my my most difficult students and the ones that I don't think improve the fastest are the ones that are all external and don't want to think about anything on how they're, they don't want to like think about their swing. Mm -hmm. um, that's frustrating to me sometimes where I can see somebody and I'm like, you're, you're here. Mm -hmm. uh, like, and you're wondering why you swing it, you know, you're way across the line and you're wondering why you swing it, you know, 12 from the inside and you're shanking mm -hmm. like, or whatever. Yeah. And they don't want to have to, anyway, that's, that's hard for me yeah. to, so sometimes I got to work a little bit in the, the people skills and, and to figure out how am I going to get this person to buy in, you know, to, to the fact that if you change the, the swing direction, you're, you're going to, you have less risk in, you know, the, that shank or whatever. That's yeah. It's fascinating you say that though, because I feel like most instructors say the opposite where people yeah. are like coming in and they're like, all right, I really want to get into what's going on. And they're like, what are you, what are we here doing? Like, uh, what are, are we trying to play golf or are we trying to play swing? And it's so interesting to hear you say that the most difficult clients you have are the ones that struggle the most are the ones that don't want to don't want to dive into their golf swing at all. That, I find that I find that so contradictory to what I've heard out there. And so it's like, but I, I identify with it strongly, actually, in, in my personal instruction. But I see I see most people actually in the world of golf instruction want like expecting um, there's a stigma. Like yeah. This, like, yeah, I remember, I remember I remember working with this lady and she brought her two kids, you know, they were, you know, twins, like eight, nine years old. And right when I was starting the company and she, she was the you know club champion at a local country club here. And I think she shot 88, 88 to win. Um, but she she brought her two sons in and she said, you know, they I want to get them into the game and stuff. And I remember we, we had we had our first session with the two of them and, you know, it was just trying to get them to like not break stuff in there and and to like just like not be like fighting each other was just a battle but then like also getting like trying to develop their passion for the game and, and all and everything i was working on it was all thoughtful and she calls me after the session she was like what was that like we i wanted you to like work on their golf swing and uh you know like and we needed to get into the technical side of it i just paid you 200 dollars. like what were you doing like i want to i want to talk about like you have all that technology all that stuff like use it and i'm like and I just told her, I, I just, I, you know, I, it was like kind of like one, the one client that like, I'll never forget. Cause it was like our only bad Yelp review actually. And so I, I remember <laughs> just that sensation of just like, I was so pissed off and I kind of told her off a little bit, normally not my style. Normally I'm always kind of circle back around, but I'm like, I was like, look, I've been through this before. Really the kids like just to even get them to sit still was tough, but we need to develop their love and their passion for the game. And then there's going to be times where we're going to start to integrate all kinds of technical improvement. But I've seen actually like a lot of people, the opposite expect like I'm paying for this. I expect you to give me your knowledge. I expect you to give me the data. I want to have this like revolutionary swing concept that's going to change the way that I move um, and the way that I play something that's going to get me on a different pathway. And so I've actually seen the opposite and then been able to bring them back into, Hey, this is a, this is a process and we need to temper the approach. Hmm. I'm, I'm sure I've had that too, where people want yeah. what they want more, but I'm, I'm usually good at giving people, you know, technical analysis. They yeah. want it. I, I try not to give too 
I'll not try. I'm really cognizant of how much I'm mm -hmm. giving somebody. You know, I have a few clients that that fly in and I don't see them very often. So I'm more apt to give them a little bit more on their plate, knowing that they can unpack it over time. But but I've established a good enough, you know, communication line so that they know hey, I don't expect you to be able to do all of this. Quickly, I'm giving you like two or three things to work on so that you have something. But I think generally it's nice seeing people once a week or, you know, a, a private club is pretty awesome in that I can, I can have a coaching model, but they pay, you know, pay, they pay by the session, but my model is still a coaching model. Um, I have a question for you. So that person that, that were, you know, the swing was bad, but they, they didn't really want to think too much and they were shanking it. What if you put a water bottle next to the ball? So they, you, you, you know, eliminate the shank and you just, that's what we do. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 so I put a box, I put a long cardboard box on the yeah, outside. Yeah. I actually keep it nearby. Um, because I think <laughs> yeah. that's funny. It's a, Always it's on a hand. Great. Yeah. The shanks. Yeah. The box is open, and so people just understand too, the, like the the idea of um, of of where their swing direction is. Mm -hmm. You know, is real is oftentimes not, you know, what you feel. Yeah. And video is helpful because video you can see it. Numbers are always helpful, but sometimes the guy doesn't believe the numbers on the track man. <laughs> weird. But well, my question is, let's say you do it, and they start striking it, right? Because they're not shanking yeah. it anymore. But the, maybe you're still not happy with their swing technique, right? You used to, you know, you change the environment, external base coaching, and the result improved, but the swing wasn't, it was still kind of wonky, right? Are you happy or do you still want to work on that? It, let's say they're flushing it. Like with this particular guy, no, I'm not happy because I know it's going to come back. And I know, I know it's going to really still be bad for his driver. Because the technique um, is just so far off. His technique is so far off and I've seen him, I've seen him play well. So I know the difference, but let's say, let's say it's not this particular player. I mean, it just, I guess it, I guess it just depends on it. How much do you think this guy's or this girl's capable of doing and like, what are, what are the goals? Yeah. If the goal is just to hit it. Okay. And you go and play then Hey, yeah. Right. That's what Chris Como said too. That was his answer. He basically said, if you if I have a high schooler that's so far off from playing D1 college golf, then I have to dig in and it's going to be a really tough road. But I'm going to get in there with internal focus because I have to because it's there's there's so it's so far off. But if you have a high schooler or any golfer that is not very far from their goal, then, you know, you never go internal. So that was an interesting kind of perspective on it. I have so. kind of an off the wall question. How much, how much in your sessions do you, are you fully in coach mode or, or is there, how much of, how much of your sessions are you talking about other subjects or talking about maybe their personal lives and where they're asking you questions? How, how much rapport building and conversation and maybe, maybe things that they're teaching you, does that happen in your sessions or, or do you kind of, control the the experience and and go straight into coach mode and have your coach hat on or do you kind of chameleon and go in and out i'd say very much chameleon going in and out very much mm -hmm. talking to someone uh, about their family their kids their you know the things that they're interested in things that they like i mean there are some there are some players that i have that i have never 
I've never had personal conversations with and we are just grinding it out. And, and I, and I, I have some examples in my head of those people. Um, and it's perfectly fine. I mean, I, I think chameleon's the right word. I think, I think I am a chameleon mm. and I, it's always funny when, it, when, people will shout on me for, you know, I, a, a bunch of people, I say kids, but some of these kids will come shadow. And, and it's like, I'll look at someone at lunch or at the end of the day and be like, all right, do you have whiplash? They're <laughs> 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 so different. The, the, you know, I know the sentiment. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes, yeah. sometimes you're grinding, like, so you could go to someone that doesn't quite like golf yet and they're doing it because they just, they just kind of want to participate with their family and they want to see and they don't really know and they just want to be comfortable and kind of have a little you know never played any sports to someone who's rolling in with a with a plus two who's like okay i'm ready to grind it out let's go and it's all business and suddenly we're talking about d-plane you know we were talking about like whatever like the, the skirt she just bought versus d-plane <laughs> how do you how do you draw i guess too with our growing it's been actually a huge topic for us in, in managing coaches and managing trainers and everything else in our environment. Where do you draw the boundary and how do you draw boundaries? Especially like, I'm sure you've had all kinds of situations where you're uncomfortable as a coach and where do you draw the boundaries and how do you do that? What do you mean? Personal versus professional. I was going to ask the personal same thing. Versus yeah, like they personal invite you for dinner. Professional. Client yeah. invites you where for you dinner. The, where do you draw the boundary? Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, there are people that I truly like as people mm. and there are people that I, that have become friends. I mean, people who have become family friends and, you know, we, you know, our, our families, we do dinner as a couple now, or they've been to my house and they know, you know, they know my daughter. And I think that's, that just kind of evolves. I think if there are people that, you know, you like, and then there are people that, I mean, I'm hired to help someone get better at golf. And I don't forget that. And I don't forget that that's why I'm there. So if someone coming to me because, because they want to hang out, you know, why would they pay me? Why would they pay me a lot of money to hang out? I mean, I, that, so yeah. it doesn't happen that often, honestly. I actually can't even think of any example of that happening. I can't even think of one example of that happening. Um, yeah, because no. we, we always, we talk about it a lot just because, you know, if you become friendly with a client, a lot of times when you go down that road long enough, the boundary between professional and personal becomes a little fuzzy. It's a little gray. And then what, is this a professional relationship or is this a friendship? And normally you don't pay, you know, to see a friend and, you know, but then there's the, but then the client kind of wants to be, acts like they want to be a friend, but then obviously it, technically they're I not. I have no, well, I have no problem with that, but that's may, maybe me because I can really, I can really compartmentalize really well. So yeah. I can just, well, you, ha you have a, you have a process. You just, it's, you're not sure exactly how, because that's what I asked. It's like in the training environment, in the fitness training environment, it's prevalent everywhere where people stop then going to work out and they're like more hanging out. No, and, no, no. I'm all and, business. I'm business. Yeah, yeah. I'm all business. I'm all business. Yeah. But, um, but I think people will, there's still like, I'm usually people with people for an hour. Like I can have a conversation, but stop myself in the middle of my answer and say, you, you did it again. That was wrong. You did it again. There it is. So, yeah. I mean, I think people want to spend time with someone that they like and are funny and they have some funny to say, but, but the first and foremost, and number one, at the end of the day, absolutely hands down, no ifs, ands, or buts. I'm there to help someone play better golf. So I don't yeah, forget so that. 
I don't forget. So that. you do control the conversation. You do draw the boundary. You say, all right, let's get back into it. Let's get back into it. All yeah. right, let's get let's get refocused. Let's keep going. Like, and, yeah. and I think that that's what'll happen with a. Tra- I've had trainers, plenty of trainers that. I'm I'm super conversationalist and I'm actually testing them. Are they going to make me work or can I control this whole session? You know, and so like I'll go into a tra- I'm crazy like that, but I'll go into a training session and just see like, can they keep it pro and can they get are are they focused on what I'm here to do or do they are they going to just let me like talk and hang out and will they just be OK with that? And so I always felt like as a coach myself, I I, I would also talk to them. I'd hang with them, but then I'd be like, all right, like we have a very specific thing we're trying to get done here and so it would be actually really fun actually they're like starting to have fun and like talking I'm like all right now let's get back into it yeah that would be a good way i'm not i'm i don't ever i don't ever lose the i'm i'm on the job at all like so even Mm -hmm. in a conversation i'm still on the job i'm still and i can cut i can like i said i'll just stop i'll stop myself mid-sentence if something's off and but i i am 100 percent on the job every time i'm in a lesson yeah. being of being of service like being a great waiter i think of a great waiter and a good a good waiter is like they, they never it never feels fabricated it doesn't feel like they're like oh yes sir let me bring you the water it feels like they're a friend but they're like really in control of that entire dining experience and you have to be on top of it versus being like oh let me just tell you about my personal problems start telling you about my whole life when it wasn't solicited I feel like that's something that very common happens at waiters or anybody of service. And so uh, that's obviously why you're a great coach to be able to understand like what your job is there to do and, and considering yourself a professional. Yeah. A there, part of it. there are a few times there where I think someone might want to be friends for the wrong reason. Like they may want, you know, like, Hey, I want our, our, our kids to, I mean, I don't want to like name any names, but there's some, not I mean when I mean wrong reason I mean um maybe we can get some free lessons out of her or you know I don't think anyone said that and I and I I would never want to like a, I, I, I don't want to wake up thinking that that's what people's intentions are but I don't want to ever let that I don't want to ever let it come to that where it's like oh well now that we're friends maybe we should get just like well I yeah. And it also becomes complicated. Or I get this. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to erase the price, it's going to be a problem. I mean, a lot of hairstylists are become really close to their clients, I feel like. And they hang out and they become friends. And then suddenly, you know, what happens if you're, you know, you, you're, you need to raise prices? It's a problem. So that's just a baseline of, you know, okay, this is a professional relationship. So we, we talk about it a lot because our clients are awesome. But they're also very friendly and they want to do things and they want to go play and they want to do this. And and it's easy to kind of get along, go go along with it. But um, usually it ends in a detrimental way. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. black and white. Yeah. Trillium, super yeah. appreciative of you taking the time. I know we went a little over, over time here, but it could have been a lot longer. Awesome conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. this was fun. Uh, maybe we'll do it again. Yeah. Anytime you're over in the West Coast, let us know love to show you around our facilities and uh i've never played golf on the east coast so i want to wow you got it really not at all nothing no i mean i came here uh, from stockholm so i'm actually might have to uh, renew my passport in washington dc and at the embassy soon so there you go (laughs) give me a ring when you're on the east coast appreciate it this was fun guys i enjoyed the conversation sounds like you are 
you're doing a lot of great things and you have so much built and so much um so many good perspectives and systems going so well done appreciate it Trillium, thank you so much appreciate you anything you need please reach out thank you thank Likewise. you bye-bye Bye. take care see you